Let's visit the 90s all over again. Put on those hammer pants. This is Dope Nostalgia. I have a very special guest today on Dope Nostalgia. Welcome. I'm Naomi. An 18-year-old who loves the 80s and 90s. His name is Sebastian. And we got in touch over the internet, of course. He let me know, hey, I'm a big fan of the same singer that I know you like. And her name is Anna, Anna Rodriguez. She was a protege of Debbie Gibson for a short time. And uh, not only that, she'd already been making music before she met Debbie back in the 80s as well. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Anna to get things started. And then we're going to welcome Sebastian to the show. Wikipedia moment. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to get funky. Anna Maria Rodriguez, born in February of 1974 in Havana, Cuba, is a Cuban-American singer who has recorded under the stage names Anna and Mia. Anna Rodriguez located with her family to Miami, Florida in 1979. In 1984, she signed to Park Records when she was 10 years old. Her self-titled first album was released in 1987, and while it was not a hit in the U.S., it did achieve success in Japan. Shy Boys was the first single taken from the album. With the help of New Kids on the Block producer Maurice Starr, Rodriguez recorded under the name of Anna for Epic Park Records, a CBS Records subsidiary. This production became her second USA release, Body Language, with both songs produced by Starr and includes the duet Angel of Love with New Kids' Jordan Knight. Debbie Gibson also contributed several songs to the album, including Every Time We Say Goodbye and Friendly. After years of absence, Rodriguez re-emerged under the name of Mia and released an all-Spanish language album entitled Canacion on Univision Records in September 2003. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world that Sebastian, who is only 18 years old, is such a big fan of 80s and 90s pop music. So please help me welcome Sebastian to the show. I wanted to find somebody who is very knowledgeable about Anna and her music and her career. Uh, and you seem yes. so excited. So I'm really excited to talk to you. Yes, I am. And you're the first person <laughs> I've am. interviewed in a long time that's actually in my time zone. <laughs> really yeah <laughs> that's cool that makes it easier well yeah because uh, i think i'm the only person like my age because i'm only 18 mm-hmm. so i think i'm the only person ever that knows about anna you yes. know what i mean like i feel like i'm the only one apart from my friend raymond because he's he's from my like, pushing her music mm-hmm. and he's like getting into it now but i feel like i'm the only person who knows about anna you know because she's such a rare singer you know not a lot of people know about her and she's so fantastic. Like her voice, like the tone of everything and her range yes. is just amazing. Mm-hmm. So our purpose today, yes, I think it is. And we're going yeah. to educate people about Anna. Is it, we say it Anna, right? Okay. Yes. That I didn't know. Uh, honestly, I don't know. Cause a lot of people say Anna, a lot of people say Anna. It just depends. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like I feel cause I'm Puerto Rican and she's Cuban. Yeah. So you know, we're kind of like the same culture. Yeah. So um, I feel like you would probably say Anna. 
how did you discover her? Oh, that's a good question because so my first encounter with Anna, well, not an encounter, but like the first time I've heard of her, um, it was like about, I would say seven years ago. Um, I was like in the fifth or sixth grade and um, I was like listening to 80s music on YouTube and then I saw her video for Shy Bones. Mm. So I was like, okay. And then at first I didn't think anything of the song. I don't know. It didn't click with me back then. But then um, about two years ago, uh, there's this website. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called um, The Isle of Deserted Pop Stars. Yes, I have. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so, you know. Yeah, that's kind of so what gave I me the scrolling. idea of doing this show was websites like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, the fact that that website exists is just amazing because in the 80s, there's been like, there's so many acts that had music and albums that didn't get any recognition whatsoever. Yep. And, you know, all that music deserves to be alive because, you know, it's good music and they did it with a purpose. And it's kind of sad that it's lost in time. That's just how I see it. You're right. You're right. And I'm glad that there are places like that. There's like, I think there's one that's called Milk Carton Pop Stars too. Oh, yeah. So there's mm-hmm. two yep, sites yep, that are very yep. similar and they both serve the yes. purpose of bringing to attention music that shouldn't have been lost. And I agree with you completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I was saying, so I was scrolling through their tag for 1987 because 1987 is that year that hits my heart. That's like my special year of the 80s. My favorite era of the 80s is probably 87, 88, because that's when I feel like the crazy dance music happened, you know, like lots of synths and drum machines and reverb and the crazy uh, bass lines. And so I was listening to, uh, I was scrolling through 1987 and I saw the picture for her album, which I have right here. Yes. Let me, so I was scrolling through the picture and I saw she was so young and I was like, wow, you know, she looks young. And I, you know, one thing about me and how I pick music when I go to like the record store and everything is that I usually get it, like the the cover has to excite Mm -hmm. me, like like I choose music by the cover. If it looks really 80s, like with sweaters and big hair, the whole shebang, that's how I pick it. And oh, so yeah. I saw the album cover and I was like, wow. And so I first heard it and I remembered Shy Boys, Shy Boys from when I was younger. And I was like, oh wait, this sounds familiar. And so then like I was enjoying it, but then we got to Love Line and that's, you know, that's, that's one of those songs that I wish it was longer because I love that little flute in the beginning, you know, like, da, 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 da. <laughs> like that's, I just love that part. And so I was like, Ooh, okay. And then I started like jamming to it. And then we got to the first ballad, which is, um, if you were mine. And then I was like, when that, uh, when that baseline hit, I was like, Ooh, okay. And so I kept listening to it and it grew and it grew and it grew. And then we got like those really fast dance tracks, you know, love is the winner and the boy next door. And I'd like to get to know you mm. And then I was jamming through the album. And then when those ballads came, I was like, ooh, in that mood. And it, it just kept growing, like growing on me. And so I went to Discogs and I found her second album. Mm-hmm. And I listened to it and I was like, oh, more Anna. Cool. That's what I did as I found her on the second album, the Body Language really? album. Before the first yes. one? And I mean, the yeah. reason for that was I was a New Kids on the Block fan. Oh. Right? Mm-hmm. And a But did you just... Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. But did you did you discover the album like Body Language back then or back now? Back then, as back it was ha- oh, as it cool. came out. Yes, yes. So oh, that's 
And I mean, like New Kids fans were like, we were kind of on the tip with everything that was happening. We didn't have social media yet, but we had the mm-hmm. we had the monthly magazines that would come out like Teen Beat. Uh, fan clubs fan clubs all of that <laughs> there was communication it just wasn't as fast as communication right. is now obviously right right because now with the click of a button you can find every like every song of hers online it's perfect right back then yeah but you know i i'm kind of like a physical like copy person i'd, I'd rather have the album with me and it's so sad that the album is not available online you know yeah and i can't find her on spotify unfortunately but luckily i had already had the album so i was happy that i still had it mm-hmm. but i noticed like right. when your emails it said vinyl music club so tell me about that oh tell yeah me about that oh so it's because so i have this website that i'm kind of building right now i still haven't released it and so i was like what's a name that might catch people on and i was like vinyl and then you know i, I thought maybe vinyl club um, you know, and I have a YouTube channel that I post every once in a while. I wish I was better posting, honestly. It's okay. And um, I, if you see it back here, I have this whole shelf of albums. Mm-hmm. So I have some cassettes and some CDs as well and vinyl. But I feel like cassettes and vinyl is definitely my thing more than CDs. And so um, I honestly, I love music so much. And I just want to share music, you know, because there's so much music that people don't know. And they need, you know, I wish they did because it's amazing music. Mm, I agree. And and music is meant to be heard. You know, it's not meant to be sitting on a shelf at some record studio. That's how I feel like it should be. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I really find it so wonderful that um, you're a young person who's so like um, invested in that style of music because I really do personally believe, I know that I'm getting older and I think like, oh, these kids don't know what good music is, but it's not even that. It's just, I really honestly believe that pop, rock, hip hop, all of it was really great in the 80s and 90s. And honestly, I feel like, because even though 80s music has a sound, because whenever you hear 80s music, you can totally recognize it. But every song sounds different. Like the songs in the album, um, like the fast songs, if, if you hear the back, like the background music, the drums are the same, the same preset, the synths are the same, but they don't sound the same. Mm. They all have like, like their own personality and character. And that's why I like about 80s music, because music nowadays, like even though I like some songs nowadays, like I'm really into Carly Rae Jepsen. Yeah. Because she she has that 80s influence. Um, I feel like it's much more robotic, if that makes any sense. I feel like 80s music has a a character that you can't find in music nowadays. And honestly, when I listen to music nowadays, sometimes I get really grossed out by the lyrics. I don't want to hear what you do. Like, that's not what I want to hear. I want to hear, like, romantic lyrics and, excuse me, and, like, love songs and teen songs and, you know, something fresh. That's... That's how I like my music. Mm-hmm. So what did you think of the second album? <laughs> for, for the listeners, this is called Body Language, which is like, I thought it was fantastic. I think it really has those yes. characters that you said where it's like each song mm-hmm. has its own identity. Yes. And I honestly don't. Okay. So I'm going to be honest. I prefer the first album a little bit mm-hmm. more just because it has that typical pop team sound but i prefer how the second album has like more of a theme and um the songs are more connected to each other and i love the name of the second album i read online some that some i wish the album was called miracles i think i prefer body language it sounds like much more like out there and going back to your question 
Um, that second album, at first, I was a little bit disappointed, but because I was expecting on a one, but two, you know, like the same production scene. Yeah. But then I started listening to it because what, what my theory is that back in the like late, late 80s, early 90s, everyone wanted to have that New Jack Swings sound like the super r&b sound and sometimes for me it's it feels forced okay so at first i was like you know she was just hopping on this trend whatever but then i kept listening to it and i started reading the album credits and i was like oh debbie gibson co-wrote the song she wrote and you know i started listening to it more and then it started growing on me and i feel like second albums are really difficult because you have those listeners that come from the first album that are expecting it to be the same but different because if it's too similar they're gonna be like oh you know it's the same thing but if it's too different they're gonna be like i don't like it it grew way too apart from the first one and then you have the new listeners who are looking for that new sound and they don't know the first one so but it grew on me and now i really really like it and i was talking to my friend the other day and honestly my favorite song apart from the title song is so outrageous that song is so good so much it's so outrageous I, I just love that song me too i think for me that album didn't have a filler song like i felt that every song i yes. connected with i found the melody and mm-hmm. when i listen to music my big thing is the melody i want i want yes. a catchy mm-hmm. melody that gets stuck with me yep and i am a fan of the new jack swing sound very much so I think mm-hmm. so who she was writing with at the time I was obviously very instrumental in that and the production. I mean, Maurice yes. Starr was heavily involved in that album mm-hmm. too, right? So yes. we know exactly mm-hmm. where that sound came from. And for those of you who don't know, yep. Maurice Starr was the producer and founder, the guy who put together and got was the new kids on new the kids block. On the block. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Now the connection there was that I think in order to try to sell Anna, they wanted to put a duet on there an urban sound well and they wanted to put that duet on there with jordan knight yep mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep. because they're like okay we're gonna get her we're gonna try to sell her to the new kids audience yes mm-hmm. exactly that's, that's and, the way i felt about what happened yes and i honestly talking about um that duet i honestly feel like cbs and epic records really failed on with promotion because mm-hmm. that song from what I've been reading online and a lot of people are saying that that song was getting um, radio play and it was getting rotation on the radio, but CBS records decided not to release a song on a seven inch single or a cassette mm. single. So that was a really bad mistake. Cause you know, back then for songs to actually chart, you needed the song to sell. Yeah. It's not like nowadays you just stream the song. No one buys songs anymore, unless for me, obviously, yeah. but, <laughs> but, um, um, back then, you needed people to sell the song because if you didn't, if people didn't buy it, um, re- um, radio stations wouldn't play it. Mm. So, I feel like CBS really messed up Anna's promotion, and mm. I feel like her age was also something that um, kind of maybe drew people off because maybe they thought, you know, she's young. What is she gonna sing about? You know, going to the party with my friends, whatever, and we love that. But a lot of people, especially young adults, you know, it's that transition from being a kid to being an adult and you want to be serious and you want to be like, you know what I mean? You feel the 
beeping going on is it gone there is i don't know oh it's probably because my dad's cooking so, <laughs> oh, so he's, he's got the, the fire alarm the smoke oh, alarm God. i told him not to make him i told him not to make a mess you know but he can't do anything hey as long as as long as everyone's so safe and i hope the food tastes yep. good so there you go yes um yeah, as, as I was saying, I found that a lot of the, the songs were actually quite mature because she does have a mature, her mm-hmm. voice at that time was more mature than her age. Yes. Like mm-hmm. she, mm-hmm. to me, yep. sounded like she was in her early 20s, mid 20s easily. Yes. Just by the tone of her voice. Yes. And, you know, even though the production, uh, going back to that first album, it was released the same year as Debbie Gibson's Out of the Blue, mm-hmm. um, which is another pop record I just yeah, love. Yeah, me too. You know, you just Debbie Gibson is just Debbie. <laughs> you know, and and Tiffany's album was released too. Even though the productions are similar and you have that teen friendly style, her voice it's like out of this world. Mm-hmm. It blows them off the charts. Like she has pipes. That girl can sing. She can very like like, and like I said, her range. Like yes, wow, it was incredible. And she mm-hmm. it, it, just yeah. in that song, the duet, which is called "Angel of Love." Um, just in that mm-hmm. song, in in the second verse, she'll go. She goes and hits this really super high note and goes right back down to the <gasps> bottom of her range again. It, it gives stars. me the chills. And she goes all deep again, and yes. I was like, "I know." And you're just like on a roller coaster. You're like, "What do I expect? Is she going to hit high? Is she going to hit low? Is she going back to the mids?" Mm-hmm. Like you can't. You, you don't know what she's doing with her voice. You're just impressed by it. And one thing I wanted to to know was when they recorded that did they actually record it in the studio together or was it were, were they were they sending in tapes you know to each other you know and someone producing I, it remotely that's one thing i wanted to know you know i i've always wondered that but i guess you know from what i've from what i know i think they might have done it with tapes because at that time she was in japan mm. for this for that um music um musical um performance like a I guess, uh, like a show, kind of, like a CBS show. So I, I'm not sure if she came back to the U.S. to record that album, uh, that song specifically in Japan while she was there, because her first album was recorded in, in uh, her school, actually, from what, from what people have like told me that knew her back then. Yeah. The first album was recorded in her school. So That's cool. <laughs> 
yeah, it's kind of cool, honestly. Yeah. And that first album was huge in Japan. And I mean, that happens for a lot of mm -hmm. American and Canadian artists where they had to travel yes. to Europe, Japan, Asian market mm -hmm. to, to really blow up. And then they'd come mm -hmm. home and it, yeah. sometimes at first nothing would happen at home, you know? Yeah. And um, like I was thinking to myself the other night, um, when I was preparing for this podcast, um, <laughs> I was, uh, Japan and Asia usually have a more of a pop taste for music than we do in America. Cause you know, in America, rock was really huge in the eighties, like heavy metal. And, um, in the late eighties, the urban wave started happening and you got new Jack swing and hip hop mm -hmm. and all these like freestyle. Oh, I love freestyle. All these, like, oh, I love freestyle too. But all these like subgenres were rising to the charts and then pop even though it was still there it kind of merged into those like subgenres mm -hmm. so um i feel like that's why a lot of those uh 80s pop stars went to like europe and asia because um it was easier i guess to chart over there and then they would get bigger and then they would come home and they would have all that success already backing them up mm -hmm. Exactly. That's how I feel it works. And it also helped them because then the record label would say, okay, well, they're making money for us now. So now we'll invest more into them yeah. over here. Exactly. Right? And they could brag, you know, how like on vinyl records, they would put a sticker, like a promo sticker, a hype sticker, mm -hmm. and they would be like number one in UK and Japan and all that stuff. So they would like draw people into buy the record. Smart stuff. It, it worked for some, that's for sure. <laughs> yes. I would say um, when I talk about favorite songs off body language, I would say um, got to tell me something is a pretty cool tune. Oh yes. It's really yeah. got that. Got to tell me something. It's got that uh, <laughs> synth strikes in it and that cool beat that yes. I really drawn mm -hmm. to. ballads like i really like uh, over and over that's a very mature sounding oh. ballad yes it is and i was gonna tell you i don't know if this one counts as a ballad but i one of my favorites is every time we say goodbye written by debbie gibson it's very much a debbie like, gibson song you can totally hear yes. all over it yes that song is like amazing i just you just can't get over it you, you have to listen to those albums, honestly. Debbie Gibson was one of the most, I think, talented songwriters of that time. Mm -hmm. I, in comparison yes. to what she would be like now in music would be like a Taylor Swift. But that, I'm yeah. talking about songwriting. Debbie Gibson mm -hmm. is, a, yeah. in my opinion, a much more talented vocalist than Taylor Swift is. Yes, yes. And the fact that Debbie 
wrote her, her songs, composed her songs. She did everything. She produced her own album. Mm-hmm. Like, no one does that anymore. She was one of the first to do it at such a young age. Mm-hmm. So. And wasn't she, like, one of the first singers? I think, I think she, like, the youngest person to ever have a number one hit. Yeah, I think so. Or something Probably like lost that. Lost in your eyes is my yeah, guess. That's that's some yep lost in your eyes that's amazing no i think it was full uh foolish beat at first maybe and then lost in your eyes came yeah that makes sense that makes sense songs that like she just wrote incredible pop songs that would just mm-hmm. i think stand the test of time um yes you know and and she's still doing it and she's still very active in music mm-hmm. which is wonderful i mean she was out on the mixtape yep. tour with uh right before COVID. which i went to did you go to the mix- which i went tell to tell me about it yes i went so I went to the mixtape tour here in Denver and honestly it was like one of the best nights of my life I was jamming to everyone uh but when Debbie came on stage that's when I lost it and Tiffany um Debbie sang like most of her like iconic hit songs not saying that all like her other songs are not iconic because they all are Mm. but she sang um on when she went to Denver um she sang uh, she sang uh, Lost in Your Eyes Shake Your Love um out of the blue and i think she sang um electric youth of course which is a really good song too. it really is that song was very like yeah. that song was almost like an event when it came out and yeah. it's like the energy level of electric youth is just fantastic but my mm-hmm. favorite debbie gibson album was actually anything is possible yes mm-hmm. which i i, love I think album. it did fairly well but it probably didn't do as well as the predecessors but i yeah. love this is a very big example of different songs sounding completely the different on the album and mm-hmm. it takes you on a real journey mm-hmm. and i don't know if you have like the cd version or the vinyl version but i have the cassette version I have the cassette. and on my the cassette you know how on the a side it's like the fast songs and on the b side it's like the moody ballad yes. songs i love how she did yeah. that and talking about like ballads, I was wondering, you know, <clears throat> if you go to Anna's first record, mm-hmm. you know how it's like half pop, half ballads. Mm-hmm. I wonder who took that decision. Was it, do you think it was Anna who wanted to like show her voice or was it more of a record company thing to show her voice so she could appeal to adults That's too? That's definitely a question that we'd have to ask her because I think she would know at that time, like we're not really sure of how much control she had yet over her, her musical choices. Correct. Especially mm-hmm. when she's still trying to break into the U.S. market. That's that's what I think. Because yeah. usually when when you're working on your debut album, you don't have a lot of control over the material you put into mm-hmm. it. You know? No. So I feel like it was probably a record, a company decision. But we totally have to ask her. I know. It would be great if she joined I us. I know. Wouldn't it be amazing? <laughs> yeah, that would be great. I'll try. I'll try. See. <laughs> okay.
Hey friends, you know what I really love doing is podcasting. It's so much fun, and I've been so lucky because I've talked to amazing people so far doing this show, and I'm trying to bring you guys the very best content I can. Now, in doing that, it does get kind of expensive, and I'm on a little bit of a budget to do so, but there's a way you guys can help out, and it's called Patreon. If you visit our Patreon page, you can subscribe to our podcast and get all kinds of ultimate perks just for subscribers. There's different tiered levels, so you can join for only $1 a month if you'd like. What's in it for you? Bonus content. We'll give you a shout-out on the show. We're going to be recording all kinds of super secret stuff just for our Patreon subscribers. And in doing that, in subscribing, you're going to help us pay the bills. Help me pay my phone bill when I'm calling people far away for an interview. Help us pay for our licensing fees so we can play you awesome music clips and so much more to help keep this boat afloat. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash dope nostalgia. It's a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network and happily powered by ATB. We are a bi-weekly podcast that aims to discuss selected conspiracy theories, alternative accounts, legends, myths, and more without coloring the topic with our conversation until the very end of the episode. We also feature beer reviews, lame jokes, bad puns, far too many 80s movies references, geek culture, and general nerdery. Our real aim is for fun, inclusive content that doesn't take itself too seriously. You don't have to be blisteringly paranoid of mind control to enjoy a chin wag with your old pals, Greg, Charlie, Andrew, the Irish Madman, and our podcast puppies, Kylo and Ren. It's a Conspiracy is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. One pop sensation returns to the concert stage. Debbie Gibson. Friday night, October 6th at the arena. Special guest, England's new sensation. Ross. Debbie Gibson. Sponsored by America's number one makeup sensation. Natural Wonder. Tickets on sale now at the arena and all tickets now locations, including Famous Bar, Music Vision, Record Company, or call Dial Ticks at 434-6600. Produced by Contemporary. The song Miracles to me sounds like uh, a new kids on the block song after uh, off of hanging tough. Like it, it's got that sound too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I wonder who all worked on that album besides, but those were the obvious ones. Definitely was Debbie Gibson and Maurice Starr. Do you yes. have that one on vinyl? 
Yes, I do. I have it right here. Oh, yay. And so from what I'm reading in the credits, it says that, let me see. So Maurice Starr worked on the album and also they had Kiki Garcia and Hector Almaguer, which, so I'm a really big Latin pop fan. Yes. So um, I believe they produced Gloria Stefan and the Miami Sound Machine. And they also produce other Latin pop stars. So from, Ooh. remember um, in that email I sent you, I told you that I had a friend who worked for CBS Records. Mm-hmm. So he told me that when Body Language was in the works, because we're going to have to talk about the unreleased album. Uh-huh. So um, before, after that unreleased album happened, um, they started working on Body Language and they, and they wanted to like hop into the urban R&B sound that was trendy back then. Um, so her her dad actually wanted um, to have a more of a Gloria Stefan sound to her second album. Mm-hmm. He didn't necessarily want to go into the New Jack Swing urban sound, but the record company ended up, you know, going with that New Jack Swing. But they brought because Kiki Garcia was actually a producer for CBS International, which was the, the Spanish version of Epic Records, mm-hmm. and um, that's why he was working on the album because to please the parents, but still make the album CBS wanted to have. Ah, okay. Yeah. Like when you're going from body language into what happens then, what did happen next? Because there was a transition in her career. Yes. So from that same friend who worked at CBS Records, there was plans to release a straight urban um, album, like straight R&B, straight hip hop. Not Mm -hmm. pop, straight hip hop. But I think the plans fell through. I'm not sure if something came out of that project. I believe they started writing for the project, but... I'm not really sure if they started recording anything or if anything was finished at all. And then she went to Mia, which is like mm. totally Latin pop, you know. What a reinvention. I now, know. I saw, I saw her <laughs> video. Yes. Um, uh, now, can you tell me how do you pronounce that single? Tentacion? Tentacion. That's how Tenta- you say it? Tentacion. Tenta- <laughs> I, need, I need to take... Like Spanish <laughs> lessons, I need to. I really want okay. to. Okay, because there's so okay. much Spanish music that you need to learn. Yeah, I'm probably so going to send good. it to you now. Okay. <laughs> I'll take it. Okay, so she reemerges under this new, new sound, new mm-hmm. look. Yes. Is Mia. Is yeah. Mia. 
And so you can look up, I'm going to save the uh, music video for that song to our YouTube channels under the mm-hmm. playlist featured artists. So you guys can take a look at it and see the difference between her first album, second album and her identity, uh, new marketing. As Mia. Now was, did you get her that album? So I have it digitally, but I don't have any physical copies. Um, this, another fan of Anna sent it to me, which I'm really grateful for, grateful for because that album is really rare. Like I've seen it on um, eBay and like copies go for like 80 bucks. Ouch. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and you know, like, even though I like Anna so much, you don't want to spend 80 bucks for an album that you might not like. That's true. Because I'm not really into that like early 2000s um, sound, but mm. that album is really good too. Like mm. there's not a filler song on the album. And on that album, she really shows um, her pipes. Yeah. And she's singing in her native language, which is Spanish. So mm. she has more of a, a control of what she's singing. I, that's it's how a, I feel. Yeah. And it's it sounds good. It's a spicy video. It's yes. like, um, I wonder, how did it do in the Latin markets? So I think from um, what I've been reading online, mm-hmm. um, the album was released in Univision Records. Um, and... She actually, for that album and that single, she earned a new Latin pop artist Grammy. Mm-hmm. She was like best new artist of Grammy, but her, the record company failed her again and they didn't put any promotion into it. So that first single actually charted. Um, I have, my dad has um, all the Billboard magazines from the, from the early 2000s. And so from what I remember, I think it charted at number 12 or 13, that single mm-hmm. on the Latin pop charts. But then it just fell out of the charts because because of lack of promotion. How do you take a Grammy award winning artist and fail them? I know on promotion. It I'm makes, telling you, she has everything going for her. She was yes. a total package. Yes. How did that happen? I just don't I, understand it. And you know, and I have a friend who works with uh, you know Regina Baby Love. You no, I don't. Uh, you know that song? That is classic 80s song. Baby Love I, by Regina. Baby Love. I bet it's one of those ones if I heard it, I would know. Yeah. So okay. he's actually her manager. Right. And so she was signed to Atlantic Records. And he was telling me all these crazy things that I can't really say right now. Because, you know, <laughs> she's she's trying to get her album released. So, yeah. really, so it's honestly crazy what goes behind promoting an album. Yeah. Because first of all, you need to have you need to put money into it and if at first your album's not doing well you're not getting any money so how are you going to promote it mm-hmm. so it's just it's just crazy and uh it's just it's it's a really scary wor- uh, world i'm gonna say it was basically a huge bank loan yeah exactly Pienses que ni por accidente vas a convencerme. Me hiciste 
I have had artists come on this show to tell me mm -hmm. how the record company can manipulate you. Yeah. They could, for instance, they could buy you all this stuff, big fancy dinners, big mm -hmm. like cars, clothes, all this stuff as a gift to you. But in the end, it's actually going on your tab. Yeah. Yep. But they don't tell you that. <laughs> and then um, you could be selling records. You could be like having sold out shows and the next thing they drop you out. You're not in the label anymore. They had to, because, um, uh, you know, Cindy Valentine, maybe you, Cindy Valentine. Okay. So, um, is she from the eighties? Yes. So See, that's my thing is like, I'm more 90 centric. And I think that's where I missed out on a lot of things when okay. I was in, in the eighties, I didn't uh -huh. discover pop music until the late eighties, very late eighties uh, okay, because, okay. um, we didn't have like, like we I was raised in a Christian home. Mm -hmm. I am a Christian and we didn't, we weren't really allowed to I listen feel to you. what was on I'm the radio Christian yet. Too. <laughs> Yes, but yeah, I wasn't allowed to listen to what was on the radio until I was until right. I first got that Tiffany tape, and that's where it all started. But yep. I didn't mean to interrupt. Continue what you were okay. saying. Oh no no no! Don't fight. Cindy Valentine. Like, yes, so I'm gonna have to send you her album because, my God, she's like she's probably my favorite my favorite '80s pop star, and she's from Canada. She's still working like nowadays, but it's really cool because I personally know her. We video chat all the time, and I have her personal phone number. So um, I was, uh, her album in the 80s, uh, she was also telling me about experiences. Um, she had an album for Polydor Records. Mm. And uh, it was, I think, the main single charted at 47 in the U.S. for the dance charts. And it's called In Your Midnight Hour. And then she had a second single called The Secret Rendezvous, which charted at like 40-something. And, you know, the album was there. It was, you know. And uh, she was telling me about how how record companies just basically uh, manipulate you into doing things. And then you might be starting, like, you start selling records and, and stuff, and then they drop you out for nothing. And then mm -hmm. you don't have a record company to back you up. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy. Yeah, I've heard these stories, and it's just so discouraging. But, yeah, you know, it, it's a tough business. The it business is. part of it is tough. Mm -hmm. And there's and then, so many, and it doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter your talent level. It's all yeah. about the money. And uh, Cindy Valentine, going back to her, she was also Anna's age when her album got released in 1987. She was 14. So at that age, you don't have any control, like you said earlier, Nothing. over what you put in the album. So it's just what the record company says. And if you disagree, they'll just throw you out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would imagine that you wouldn't even try to argue for what you want until you've had a massive mm -hmm. hit. Yep. Yep. Massive. It's crazy. Yeah. Like the kind of hit that's going to keep you touring for the rest of your life off that one hit. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's, um, that's when you get a say, I think, at that point. You know, but some some songs, because they chart, does not mean that they're hits. Mm -hmm. You know, because uh, I don't have a song in mind right now, but there's songs that we all know and we love that weren't big hits when they came out. Yep. Just because it doesn't go to number one doesn't mean you're not a hit. Going back to uh, Regina's baby. Yeah. Yeah. There's tons Sorry. of good music that are mm -hmm. deep on albums, not even yeah. singles where I'm just mm -hmm. like, I much prefer that over the single. That's what I say. A lot of record companies, like they choose songs that don't really make any sense for the radio. Cause when you release a song to the radio, it has to be catchy. It has, it has to be short, but it has to have, you know, those elements that will make it a hit. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. 
And Is that your thing about going back to Regina? Oh, so I was going to tell you that um, Regina was signed to Atlantic Records. And so um, she, when she had her hit Baby Love in 1986, she was, uh, Stacey Q was also in the charts at that moment. Mm -hmm. And so um, she was at number 10 and in the pop charts. And then her record company wanted her to go to number one. But they started, since the record was already a hit, they, they took promotion out and they put it on another record. So it didn't go to number one. And just because the, the record didn't hit number one, they basically dropped her. Even though it went top 10 and it sold a million copies. That's insane, hey? Yeah, that's crazy. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm really grateful now that people have more of a say over mm -hmm. their independence because of indie labels, because of the ability to release music on your own. And that mm -hmm. really works for artists that are already established yeah. because they've, their fan base is there and it will continue to move along with them no matter yep. what they that's wonderful. I think the trouble is, is trying to get yourself off the ground in the first place because now mm -hmm. anybody can have a YouTube channel. Anybody yep. can put their music on Spotify yes. and it's oversaturated. It's hard to find what's good, but it allows you to make music for everyone and everyone has a chance to really like what they want to like. Not just yeah, what exactly. they're, told, they're told to like by a record company. Exactly. And, you know, I feel like streaming is good in a sense of like you get to experience much more music than you did in the past because back then you would only know about songs that were played on the radio unless you heard like college radio or like you know that kind of stuff um but now you can go to spotify and you can find any artists ever mm -hmm. and you can stream their music but it's also bad because people don't buy records anymore and you're not supporting your artist because mm -hmm. most of those streamings go to the record company not to the artists and they're the and the artists are the ones that are putting uh, all the work into it the thing that bothers me about streaming is it's one of those things where i don't want to do it but it's so damn easy because yeah. i don't mm -hmm. want to do it because i think the wrong people are getting the money yep and but honestly it's, so, it's, it's like it's, it feels like shopping at walmart to me where i don't want to do it but, you're but doing that's anyway. what I can afford right now, kind of thing. <laughs> right. Like that's the, right. that's, that's I feel the you. same feeling. I feel that's you. the same feeling. You don't want the evil corporation to get the money. You yeah, want, you, you want, want to support the, the small businesses, but you can't because they're do. too expensive. And I really want to. <laughs> I always yeah. want to. Yeah, I totally get you. And you know, there's something magic for me um, when you press play on a cassette and you start hearing the hiss and then the music comes and mm. or the record you drop the needle and you hear the music but streaming is so easy and convenient mm -hmm. you just put on headphones and you just uh, press play you don't have to have any special equipment or because vinyl text uh, takes time to collect and to clean and to you know vinyl is a hobby in itself where it's something you have to have great passion and take care yes. of take care of the albums yes it's it's more of a, a complete experience putting the mm -hmm. album on mm -hmm. and, and it's good. yours you feel it you know yeah. like it's part of you now because i i remember every, like every time i've seen something about anna i remember where i found it what time when mm -hmm. i got it like wow record store that's that's something i like about physical uh physical media because you know where you got it it's not like streaming where it's you know there's a memory attached to each purchase there's a memory exactly. attached to each mm -hmm. first listen yes so when listeners I... please buy albums oh <laughs> amen and i mean not even it doesn't necessarily have to be the vinyl i mean mm -hmm. it could be the cd yeah. it could be the the cassette even if you really wanted to but yeah 
I mean, like I said, going back to our first experiences with pop music and we touched on the fact that secular music wasn't in my home. Mm-hmm. So when I say secular, I'm talking about music that's not Christian music. Right. So we didn't really have any. Right. Um, but I mean, I was probably in grade four at the time and Tiffany was really popular in, in school. This is like 1987, I think. Right. Um, and I was hearing some of her songs and I'm like, this really speaks to me when I'm listening to it's, it makes me want to move. I'm enjoying the tunes. Yes. I think we're alone now was huge. Yeah. And I just remember somehow I convinced my mother to buy me that cassette. And I was going to ask you, how did you even get it? Cause if it wasn't allowed, did you like have to sneak it in? But you just answered the question. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't sneak it actually. She actually let me do it. But that's normal. That's just a normal reaction with parenting and regardless of your religious beliefs, like Mm -hmm. you want to keep, keep it clean for the kids, right? You want to keep it clean. Yeah. And, um, I was, I was going to tell you because did your parents listen to Amy Grant? Because she was, I did, I did, did? but I had to find her. I I had to find her through school because I was going to Christian school and it was a lot of kids were listening to Amy Grant. Yeah. Yeah, Cause she was still pop. So, oh yeah. (laughs) <laughs> she sure was and that's what I loved about her I'm like I was just like this this is great like this can't be wrong yeah. right but yeah I just to see where you're coming from too and how did that work out in your household like you're you is, like, was that, yeah like how did you get your first album that wasn't um Christian music Ooh. okay so the first memory of me getting an album was Katy Perry's uh Teenage Dream okay and so the reason why I got that album was because my parents are Katy Perry fans too. <laughs> so when like, she was are... when she was still doing Christian music? No, no, when she was uh when she went secular, my parents were fans uh-huh. of that. Because like oh, okay. I told you, they're pretty liberal Christians. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, as long as it we, my mom still jams to I kissed a girl. She's like, ah, yeah. I kissed her. So um I remember going to the store. I actually went to Kmart. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> and so I got the CD, and I was so happy, and I still have it. I have it somewhere here, and that was my first memory of an album. But I remember there's there's um there's a song on the album called Peacock, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so she's like, I wanna see your peacock, and then she your peacock cock. So my mom, we were jamming to it on the car on our way home, and when she first heard it, she was in such a shock, we could say, that she immediately she wanted to toss the CD, and I was like, no, no, please don't do it. But then she was like, okay, just as long as you know. Mm-hmm. But now she's because I think when I was younger, when that when that happened, uh, my mom was getting really into church. So you know how new Christians are, where they want to like completely devote themselves, and you know. But now they're, they're knows, still trying to figure out what what is acceptable and what is exactly kind of thing. exactly. Yeah. And so, but now she's much more like neutral about it. Like she she's like, I taught you, you know, the Bible and God's word. But if you don't want to follow it, you know, it's your decision. I can't force you into it. But she, you know, but I still believe in God, and you know, I think God's one of my main rocks in my life. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. I think bottom line for me was that I don't, I, I think that the influences that were trying to shape me and mold me were just trying to keep me on the, keep me on the right path. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, as I grew, I was able to find music that suited me and yeah. my taste and what I mm-hmm. enjoyed, just like yep. anybody. So there's a way of doing that without listening to music that's from the devil. 
I would say, right? <laughs> I did get, okay. So when I got that Tiffany tape and I was just jamming uh -huh. hard on it, I just loved it so much. There was one song that my mom pointed out to me. She's like, Naomi, do you know what that's about? I think it was Johnny's Got the Inside Moves. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. What a fantastic song. Just like the melody I know, that's of it. A, that's okay. a fantastic song, yes. But she was like, do you know what that means? He's got the Honest inside moves. And Honestly, I, mean, I had no idea. You, if you hadn't told me anything about it, I yes, would have never known. I'm going to say, I've never, like, I've, I have that tape and I have the CD and I have the vinyl and I listen to it constantly. And I've never... I've never thought of anything about that song. Now, now that you mention it, I kind of see it. Johnny's got the inside moves. Like what? Yeah, like he's trying to do something naughty. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> like honestly, when I first heard it, I thought it was just like you know, like a beat inside of him because of because I was younger when I heard it. I was like, oh, you know, he wants to dance with her. He's got the inside moves. The moves. <laughs> but, but like I said, my mom was wonderful about me being able to pick pretty much yeah. what I want. There was only a few where she was like, I don't think that's very good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what example comes to mind? Guns Madonna? Guns oh, Guns well, Madonna, that's, yeah, I would say Madonna, because I went through a Madonna phase hard too. Yeah. Around the time when Truth or Dare came out, which was probably- Everyone does go through a Madonna phase, I think. <laughs> and that was one of her most controversial things. So mm -hmm. yeah. I- I had a Madonna poster up in my room from the Blonde Ambition tour, and I was oh, like, yeah. really into it. But I don't. <laughs> I, I think my mom wasn't feeling that too much. Mm -hmm. And did I she think say probably. Something? I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. But I mean, I think there's probably a lot of parents that didn't want their kids listening to Madonna. Yeah, and Prince, and all those kind of artists. Anything you too know? sexy. Honestly, I can't believe so because of the. Have you heard of the Naughty 15 list? No. No. So back in 1985, I think, when Madonna released uh, Dress You Up, mm -hmm. uh, parents did a list of like the 15 naughtiest songs. And honestly, that song made the top five. And I was like, what's so naughty about that song? But now it's I can't like see. It's not like a virgin. It. Yeah, like a virgin's naughtier. Like, you know, I don't know. That dress you up was naughty because it was like it's okay it was, it's, it's very metaphorical yeah exactly that's how i see it because she doesn't mention anything she doesn't say anything specific in the song yeah like it's 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 not a literal lyric yeah. no it's not it's not like janet jackson's if like i'm gonna go down to down down and hold you in my hand now baby. oh yeah yeah <laughs> you know like <laughs> Like that was like, whoa. <laughs> and that's one of my favorite Janet songs. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think my mom knew about those lyrics. So there's a lot of times, she, I, you know, I just well, didn't say good. anything. <laughs> oh, you're funny. Oh, man. But Anna, going back to Anna. <laughs> going back to Anna. <laughs> it's a good uh, episode when we can go off on the tangent. Let me tell you. Yes. But uh, going back to Anna, she's, I think, someone who deserved more than she got in so many mm -hmm. ways. Yeah. Very talented. And I what do you think? think so. I know she's she's currently had, she has an active Instagram. She does. I know she has Facebook, yeah. but I haven't been able to, I haven't been able to find her on Instagram. So you have to send me that link. <laughs> I will. I will. Okay. So okay. Give her, give her a follow. Uh, <laughs> 
give her a follow and comment on her stuff. And yes. yeah, like she's, so she's, she's, she looks beautiful. She looks healthy she and amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, it was very important to me to do an episode focused on her career so that people would find yeah. out more about her music. I'll mm-hmm. be putting clips of the songs, some of yeah. her songs in here. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. focused mostly on the 90s, of course. So that's 90, the yeah. type of podcast we, mm-hmm. <laughs> we are. So <laughs> um, yeah, to wrap things up, is there anything else you want to add about Anna? Um, we could talk about the unreleased album. Okay, yeah, For, let's okay. do it. So, um, that unreleased album, so you know, before I jump? No, I can't remember before I jump. Okay, so before I jump was a standalone single in, in 1988, bet- between the first album and the second album. And oh. so that that album, it's actually online, and it's a really good high-quality copy of the song, so you can, and it's a really, really good song. It's super catchy, and the bass lines are insane. So oh, that nice. second album... Uh, the which was supposed to be produced by the first uh, the first producers, um, I believe they recorded the album, and uh, they released that song before I jump, which was supposed to be first on uh, first single, but the song tanked. Mm-hmm. It didn't get any chart action whatsoever. Um, it, you know how Shy Boys charted and like it grew a little bit of attention. Yeah, that that song totally flopped. Just like the boy next door, because the boy ne- the boy next door was also released as a second single in America, mm-hmm. and um, my friend who who's the one who works at CBS who worked, um, he told me that there's a special 12 inch remix of the boy next door, but it's never been released. Oh. It's in the vaults. So because that song was it, it was supposed to be the big hit, but that didn't happen, of course. And so when uh, before I jump tanked. Plans, uh, plans were canceled and so that's why they decided to go into urban and hip-hop instead mm. of pop for the second album she probably has a lot of music in the, yeah. in the uh, mm-hmm. archives and that I we haven't con- even heard yeah and i even contacted um her producers from the 80s and i they they read the message but they didn't reply mm-hmm. so um i bet she has lots of music that's still unheard Mm-hmm. which is sad i would do everything i could in my power if i had any to get her music out there yeah you know? it so, would be great to get those albums released fantastic idea if it could happen. yeah mm-hmm. i wish it i wish it could happen but it, it's up to her it's definitely up to her because she has to you know as long as she has like I, as long as the record company isn't holding it hostage either right right mm-hmm. yeah That's but when thing. i when i when i mean like it's up to her i didn't mean it like in a rude way no, it's no. A, because she's the one who has to like reach out the record company and get all that process because at the yeah go, go ahead. ahead go ahead no no no. go I ahead interrupted <laughs> oh sorry because at the end of the day she's still the owner of those records so she's well she might not be anymore but she's like the main one in those records because it's her albums and when you say it's up to her, I think that also means this is something she wants to do. Exactly. Mm-hmm. If it's something that's cool with her, because a lot of artists, they don't, they had really bad experiences and I don't think mm-hmm. they're comfortable with re-releasing that music because they're going to relive mm-hmm. those experiences they had, which might not be good. I think you're absolutely correct. It might be something that she's wanted to move on from. Mm-hmm. As, yeah, is, as totally. many artists do sometimes. So yes, totally. Just anything new from her would be fantastic. 
yeah. anything that's uh and like if if she's out there listening anna we love you we'd love yes, to have we do. you come have a chat with us sometime yes. and <laughs> we'll try to <laughs> that make would that be happen. great <laughs> but yeah um i'm going to be sharing some of anna's music throughout this episode and i want to you know what talking with you has been fantastic absolutely thank you i absolutely love you thank you for having me Oh, you're you'll have so to cool. come back on. You'll have to come back on the show. I definitely will. Just you're send a me fountain that link. of knowledge. I will. I will send you. <laughs> remind me to send you her Instagram so that you can check that okay. out. Okay. Because I don't know if that's something yes. that she wants put out there publicly. Right. Or mm-hmm. or like I would. I was gonna maybe put put it on the show, but well, I don't. I don't know well, if that's a good idea. Her Facebook page is public, and it says Anna. I think it's Anna Perez Music. Okay. So, and um, on that Facebook, she has links to her songs that are available online. So she has a link for Shy Boys. She has a link for Got to Tell You Something. Got to Tell Me Something, not Got to Tell You Something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think I think she's definitely trying to go back out there. Okay, good. Because her music, um, you know, it's growing. I've seen the numbers on YouTube and they're constantly growing. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. Sebastian, you were a joy to have as a guest on the show, and I definitely want you to come back and record some more episodes with us. He's just a fountain of knowledge of that decade, so thank you again, Sebastian. Hey kids, put down that Tamagotchi and listen for a second. You know, you can follow us on Twitter at NostalgiaDope, Instagram at Dope underscore Nostalgia. Visit our website at www.dopenostalgia.com or pick up the phone and call us at 780-851-8785. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.